Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. A couple of years ago, I was deep in the jungles of Papua New Guinea with Jimmy Adkins, one of our shepherds. We were there visiting our missionaries, Jab and Becky Mason. Jab takes us on this excursion one day, wants to take us to this village deep in the jungle. And so we pull up to this little village, 50 or so people, and they all greet us, and they put lays around our necks, and they take us up to this little church building that's on the hillside, and they sing songs for us as we enter there. And then we, we descend the hill, and we come into the middle of the village. It's this small village, wood thatch homes, and they produce these two folding lawn chairs. And uh, we're instructed, to Jimmy and I, to sit in those two lawn chairs. So we, we sit down in those two lawn chairs, and then everyone else sits in the dirt around us. And, I mean, women and children sitting in the dirt around us. And Jimmy and I, you know, feel really awkward about this. And we start to get up, and Jab pushes us back down. <laughs> he says, if you give up these chairs, that's going to be a great insult to them. Come, come to find out, those were the only two chairs in the whole village. All right, so it was a great honor, and we stayed in our seats. Okay. And then the patriarch to this village who we met as we came in, he's got a tremendous story I'll share at some time, but decades ago he was converted by pioneering Highland missionary Joe Cannon. He was persecuted for that decision, but now this whole village is Christian because of his influence. Yeah. And so he is watching on, and he sits us down in these two chairs, and, and then he signals for this young man to bring us coconuts the man comes up with these coconuts, and he takes a machete. And any time a Papua New Guinean's walking at you with a machete, you get nervous. But he walks at us, and he takes that machete, and he slashes off the top of the two coconuts, and he hands them, hands them to us, and he tells us to drink. And we drink, and they're so sweet. I'll never forget that, Jimmy. And then he, this, another young man, he motions to him, the patriarch does, and another young man walks up, and he's carrying this big palm leaf and the leaf is folded, and there's something inside, and he sits down on the dirt in front of us, and he unrolls this palm leaf there on the dirt, and it's filled with pork and potatoes and all these other vegetables that they've prepared for us. And then this man, I'll never forget it, sitting on his knees in front of us in the dirt, begins to reach into that pile of food with his hands and lift it up to us just by hand. This was pre-pandemic, okay? <laughs> now, I still would have preferred a fork, <clears throat> I'm going to be honest with you. <clears throat> He's reaching it out, though, and he's, he's placing it in our hands, and we're eating from his hands, okay? And so everybody's watching us, this whole circle sitting in the dirt around us in these two chairs. They're just all watching us, and so Jimmy and I just keep eating, keep drinking from the coconut, and they're still watching, and we just keep eating and drinking. We don't know what to do. And then we look at each other, and we start talking, and we're like, they kind of look hungry. They kind of look thirsty, and, and so I whisper to Jab, and I say, Jab, is it okay if we share this? And Jab says, yeah, that's what they're waiting on. <laughs> well, you could have told us that. <laughs> and so we pass our coconuts to the side, and everybody begins to drink out of the coconut and pass it around the whole circle. And then men and women just come from everywhere, and they're carrying more palm branches full of food. And this whole pig that's been cooked in the ground comes up out of the ground, and they start to serve that pig. It's a feast. I'll never forget, okay, I'm looking around, everybody eating and laughing, 
delighted, full bellies. And the patriarch just standing there watching, giving directions and smiling. And I realize this meal says something about him. And not just that he wants to feed me or Jimmy and I, but that he's capable of feeding everybody. I'm not just part of a, 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 a meal for me, right? I'm not just being fed. This is a feeding, and I'm part of it. And I'll look at him, and he's just smiling. All right, why don't you go with me to Mark chapter 8 here, starting at verse 1. We're going to read a story. It's going to sound familiar, and then I'm going to explain why it does. All right, Mark 8, starting in verse 1. In those days, there was another large crowd with nothing to eat. And Jesus called his disciples and he told them, I feel sorry for the crowd because they've been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them, send them away hungry to their homes, they won't have enough strength to travel for some have come a long distance. And his disciples replied, well, how can anyone get food in this wilderness to satisfy these people? And Jesus asked, well, how much bread do you have? They said, seven loaves. And he told the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves, he gave thanks, he broke them apart. And he gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they gave the bread to the crowd. And they also had a few fish. He said a blessing over them. And then he gave them to the disciples to hand out also. And they ate until they were full. They collected seven baskets full of leftovers. And there was a crowd of about 4,000 people. This was a crowd of about 4,000 people. Jesus sent them away, and then he got into a boat with his disciples, and he, and he went over to the region of Dalmanutha. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hey, do, you, do you know why it sounds familiar? This story parallels another story that happened just two chapters earlier. So we preached about this story just a few weeks ago in Mark 6, here Jesus feeds 4,000, and there he feeds 5,000. There are some differences to the stories, but there's also a bunch of similarities. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, why does Mark tell another story, another Jesus story, so much like the one before? Or, or the other way of asking that is, why does Jesus do it again? What's he trying to teach us by doing it again? And so one of the things you do is you, you kind of look at the two stories side by side as we try to understand that. And there are some differences. Like in the first one, there's 5,000 people. They don't have anything to eat. And the problem, okay, in addition to not having anything to eat, the problem is one of money or resources. The disciples say this when Jesus tells them, you feed these people. They say, should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months pay and give it to them to eat? So the problem in chapter 6 is one of money. They don't have enough. Look at chapter 8. The problem here is a problem of context or situation. They say this, how can anyone get enough food in this wilderness to satisfy these people? Okay, so in the first story, it's a problem of not having enough money. In the second story, it's a problem of the situation just being too hard. Now think about that for a second. Doesn't that pretty much sum up every problem in life? Either you don't have the resources to fix it, or it's unfixable. If you had enough money, you can fix some things, 
There are some things, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't fix them, like producing food in the wilderness. Think about that for a second. But what does Jesus do? He sees the shortage. He sees what's lacking. He sees the difficult situation. And he provides more than enough. Twice in the first story, there's 12 baskets filled with leftovers. In the second story, there's seven baskets filled with leftovers. Why does he do it? Well, we're told that. In the first story in Mark 6, we're told that he had compassion on them. He looks out on the 5,000, we're told he had compassion on them. In the second story, we're told why he does it. It's because he had compassion on them. I feel sorry for these people. His motivation when he looks at a world that's hungry is compassion. That's why he provides, because he looks at them with compassion. And then did you notice that in both stories, if you go back to Mark 6 a couple weeks ago, if you look at Mark 8 today, who does he use to distribute what he provides? The disciples. In both stories, he uses the disciples. Does he have to? No. Could Jesus do it on his own? Yeah. And he uses the disciples Why? Do you think you know what's going on in this miracle, in these miracles? Let me tell you about another miracle. You know, last week was Life-Giving Sunday. It's the best Sunday of the year. We raise a bunch of money, and then we just give it away. We give it away to the best ministries in Memphis and around the world, like our mission at work in Papua New Guinea, like our partners here in town, Agape and Hope Works, like Timothy Hill that you heard from last week. We just raise a bunch of money and give it away. Our goal last week was $160,000, but let me make sense of the number you're seeing on the screen behind you. Our goal for the whole year was 470,000, okay? And we take up the first contribution in the fall, the second one in the spring. So in the spring, we just have to raise what's left over. And what happened in the fall was we set a goal of around 200,000 and you blew past that goal. And even after we met the goal, you just kept giving. So the last week we only had to raise 160 to reach our goal of 470. We didn't raise 470. You know how much we raised? $542,000 in this last year. Now, hold on. Well, that, that was on Friday when Russ made this slide. I found out this morning that more money's come in, okay? So I was about, we were about $72,000 over our goal for the year on Friday. Right now, we're sitting at about 90000 Probably more's going to come in. Okay. I'm so deeply humbled by this. You know that this is our third life-giving Sunday during the pandemic? I remember the first one. We were still in lockdown. It was financial crisis in addition to this global health crisis. So many people at Highland that I knew were in danger of losing their jobs or lost their jobs. People with investments losing great sums of money. I remember calling our elders, our missions team, and saying, we might need to lower this goal. You know, we blew past that first Life-Giving Sunday goal last spring a year ago. Blew past it. We had over 20 people who don't even go to this church who were just watching us online who were so convicted by what God was doing here that they gave money to that. Okay, and then it was fall, and I was thinking, whoo, man, this pandemic's still going on. We got to do this again. 
And we gave over $100,000 past our goal in the fall, so much so that we only had to raise $160,000 last week because you just kept giving to this special contribution. And then last week, you've now surpassed that goal by $90,000? We're going to give away not just a half million dollars, we're going to give away probably $600,000 this year. We're just going to give it away. So people doing kingdom work in this city and around the world, we're just going to give it away. Now, here's the thing. I didn't give $600,000. I gave a little bit. I'm a preacher. (laughs) You know what happened? A bunch of you gave a little bit, and God multiplied that. I mean, think about it. We're in the middle of a pandemic when money's short and the situation's hard. And God keeps taking our scarcity and making a surplus out of it? Are you kidding me? When money's short and the situation is about as hard as it has been, and God keeps taking the little you're giving and multiplying it. Do you understand what that means? Church, we're in the middle of a miracle right here. I mean, that's what's happening. Like, that kind of money is not something I just say thank you for. That's the kind of thing we all stop and say, God, what are you doing here? Because you are doing something here. You know, the disciples, you know, Jesus does this miracle. They don't get it, so he does it again. Like, there was the spring, there was the fall, the spring. Okay, they don't, okay, let me show you what the disciples do. Just let me show you this. The disciples don't understand what God's doing. They fail to pay attention to this. And so this is the very next scene. Let me show you this, because I don't want us to do this. Okay, I don't want us to do this. Pay attention, look at this. Verse 11, the Pharisees showed up. This is right after the second feeding. The Pharisees showed up and began to argue with Jesus. And to test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. <clears throat> with an impatient sigh, Jesus said, why does this generation look for a sign? I assure you, no sign will be given to it. And leaving them, he got back into the boat and he crossed to the other side of the lake. And then pay attention here. Jesus' disciples had forgotten to bring any bread. Remember, he had just multiplied all that bread, right? Okay. So they had only one loaf with them in the boat, and he gave them strict orders. Watch out, for your, and be, sorry, watch out, be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees, which is in bread, right? As well as the yeast of Herod. And the disciples discussed this among themselves. And he said this because we don't have any bread. <laughs> Jesus knew that they were discussing this and, and said, why are you talking about the fact that you don't have any bread? Don't you grasp what has happened Don't you understand? Are your hearts so resistant to what God is doing? Don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? Don't you have ears? Why can't you hear? Don't you remember when I broke five loaves of bread for those 5,000 people? How many baskets full of leftovers were there? They answered 12. (laughs) And when I broke the seven loaves of bread for those 4,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather? Seven. And Jesus answered them, and you still don't understand. 
okay, why does he keep doing these miracles one after another? He's trying to convince them. It's not that you saw a miracle back there. You are living in the middle of a miracle. You are living in the presence of the king whose power is exponential, who takes your scarcity and makes it a surplus. If you'll say yes to him, he is going to provide. You think you only have one loaf of bread and that's not enough? Were you not paying attention? I've got this thing with bread. Like I'm going to take it and multiply it. You know, the very next scene, there's this scene in which uh, Peter declares that Jesus is king. And I think these miracles are leading up to that declaration. But these miracles are saying a couple of things about this king. And I just want us to stop and just notice these. I mean, if you're the kind that's taking notes, write these down. I'm going to put my head down because I pretend that all of you are taking notes. And so I'm just going to imagine you all got out your pencils right when I said that. All right, here's, <clears throat> here's what I think this, these miracles mean. Look at this. What's Jesus motivated by? His motivation is compassion. Jesus looks on you. Okay, you're getting fed too. Jesus looks on you, but he also looks on the world. A world that's hungry, and he is motivated by compassion for the world. Okay. What is his response? His response is provision. In each case, he not only fills them, in both stories, they ate until they're full. In, in both stories, he not only fills them, but there is leftovers. His response is provision. But do you remember who he uses both times? Those disciples who don't get it, for some reason, he wants to keep using them because his partner's us. Jesus doesn't need us, and he wants to use us. Would you look at that? But then this, and this may be the best part, his power is exponential. He takes a couple loaves, and there are 19 baskets of leftovers. And then lastly, his identity is king. That's where we're going the next few weeks. Now, each of these could be a sermon. Uh, how much time y'all got? Um, let me just hone in on number four, his power is exponential. Let me just talk about that for a second. Here's what I'm convinced of. Anytime that our Lord Jesus Christ takes the little bit that you and I offer and he multiplies it until there is more than enough, he's trying to tell us something. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to get our attention. He's trying to shake us because he wants to do more. Not only does he want to do more, but he's able to do more because his power is exponential. That's what he's capable of. And church, I'm just gonna be really honest right now. God keeps taking the little that you give and multiplying it over half a million dollars? Talk about a couple people in Memphis, Tennessee, a half a million dollars? You know what they're saying about Memphis right now? We don't, can't even keep our bridges together. Half a million dollars? Here in Memphis, Tennessee? I mean, how many times is God going to have to do that before we pay attention and say, God, what are you doing here? 
We are living in the middle of your miracle at the Highland Church of Christ. Like, it is, I mean, it's so, it is so obvious. This is not the kind of thing that a preacher just says, thank you for being so generous. This is the kind of thing that a preacher says, praise God for what you are doing here. Do you want to do more? Show us. I'll tell you, 15 years ago, the elders at this church, leaders of this church, decided to relocate. Okay? It's a long story, and everybody who lived through that would tell you it was a difficult season. It was a hard season. Our leaders asked this church to believe and trust in one thing. Do you remember this? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him who's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Fifteen years ago, we did not know that in the middle of a pandemic here on Houston Levy, we would raise over half a million dollars and give it away in the name of Jesus Christ. We did not know in the years after that move that we would baptize hundreds of people into Christ Jesus that we would start multiple new mission sites all over the world, that we would take on new partners in this city, around this country, that children would find their forever homes at this place, okay, that lives distant from Christ would be brought closer to him at this place and in this family, that people would be lifted up out of poverty through the work of this place. And these people 15 years ago, we didn't imagine that, but to him who is able to do immeasurably more and then we ask or imagine. Okay. <clears throat> Let me tell you about something. Um, our churches, our leaders have been thinking about this because there's so much confidence that comes from witnessing God's miracle in your midst. Like, I'm not on my own. I'm not out there fighting by myself. I'm fighting with him. And there's so much confidence from going out knowing that tr that's true. Okay. That's why our leaders have been thinking about this. And let me just tell you, so we're, we're like looking at all the baskets of leftovers here. <laughs> that's a good spot to be in, by the way. And we started a new mission work. I told you about a couple weeks ago in East Asia. I want you to be praying for those missionaries who are working to return there. We bought Jab and Becky Mason a new vehicle because the floorboard of theirs fell out. The wheels were falling off. I mean, we're doing great things when y'all give this surplus. So we're looking at these baskets of leftovers. And I'll tell you what, we're talking about some exciting stuff right now. But let me tell you one thing. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, God began to bring... <clears throat> more friends to this church who have special needs. <clears throat> now, we didn't ask for that. Now, come to find out, there were some people praying for that. But God just keeps bringing more and more friends to us and more families that have special needs. Did you know that demographic-wise, one of the most unchurched groups of people in America and actually around the world, one of the most unchurched groups of people are families that have a special needs member. 
member with special needs in their family. Why? Because church is hard for them. Um, churches excel at doing standard, doing specials hard for churches. Okay. And so it's one of the most unchurched groups of people in the world. And more and more of our friends with special needs started coming to Highland and their families. And I'll tell you, we were looking in the pantry and there was just a couple slices of bread there. And we realized if we were going to respond to this need, we were going to need more bread. So we just started praying about that. You know, God did this really strange thing. He brought us Hannah Thrasher. Do you all know Hannah? She's one of our youth ministers. She's amazing. You know that in addition to being a youth minister, her, actual, her training is special needs. It's her gift. And then God did this other thing we weren't expecting. He brought us Nicole Curlin, who's an expert in caring for those with special needs, and she's on our team too. And, and then Michelle Betts and Stephanie Howell and others started getting training in this. We had people sign up to be buddies, and we, we, we made this awesome little sensory room over here in the children's wing, so friends of ours who have special needs can go and decompress there. If they get overstimulated, they can go there. I mean, that's a big, that's a big thing. Most churches don't have sensory rooms, and we're like, okay, I took a little bit of bread. Uh, we look in the pantry, bread's still there. And so we're like, okay, maybe we'll go a little bit farther. So we hear about this thing called the Night to Shine. You remember that? It's this celebration by the Tim Tebow Foundation for our friends with special needs, okay? And so because of the pandemic, we couldn't do it inside. It's usually like a dance, like a prom kind of thing. And so we did it outside. Y'all remember that? It was a couple months ago. It was freezing cold, freezing cold. Everybody was wearing beanies and masks. You couldn't tell who anybody was. Remember that? It was so awkward. I introduced myself to a longtime Highlander, 20 years he'd been here. I said, hey, I'm Eric. Remember at that night to shine? Our parking lot was packed to the gills with Highland members who were just cheering. When people with special needs drove by in the car waving to us, people who were overlooked by most of the world for a night they were seen, we're like, ooh, that took a lot of bread. And we look in the pantry and there's still bread there. That's so we're like, okay, God, you know what we're gonna do this summer? July 19th, 20th, and 21st, we're gonna have a VBS for those with special needs. Not a lot of people doing that. You know why? It takes a lot of bread. You know what I think we're gonna do? We're gonna look in the pantry and bread's gonna be falling out on us. We're living in the middle of a miracle. And if this church will keep saying yes to Jesus, he is going to fill us up. He's not only going to fill us up, but he is going to use you to fill up everybody else. You know why we think this story is told so many times? The fiend of the 5,000 is told four times. The fiend of the 2,000 is told twice, or 4,000 is told twice. You know why we think it's told so many times? We think that before scripture was even written down, these two stories were the stories the church told every week when they took the Lord's Supper together. They became the most important stories to this early church. Because they were looking in their bank accounts, they were looking in their pantries. And I'll tell you what, resources were scarce. But look around you. 
he provides more than enough. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine.